Acts chapter 2, verse 37 this morning. Acts 2, 37. A moment ago, of course, we prayed and asking God for wisdom and direction, and we're going to continue to seek that. And, and I want us to look at this morning not about a physical building, so much at what really is supposed to be going in the building, all right? It's, it's, uh, it's fine and dandy to renovate or build or whatever, whatever the Lord leads us to do. We want to do that and do it to, to the best of our ability, but at the same time, we never can lose sight of the fact that we're here for a reason. We're gathered in this building or any building for a reason, and that's to glorify the Lord, to lift His name, and to help win others to Christ who don't know Him to be a witness. So let's talk today about what Jesus has in store as the master builder. Jesus is the master builder. I don't think it's any coincidence that when Christ came to this earth, when he was born into this world, that he came to the home of a carpenter. I know that God had that determined. He, he, he desired to do that to maybe be a living illustration of what Christ was going to do with his life. As, as a boy growing up, into a man, Jesus probably got more experience in woodwork and stonework than he bargained for or ever thought he would. I'm sure Joseph didn't cut him much slack. If Joseph was like many of our fathers, you know, he, he put him to work and he taught him the trade. And uh, though Jesus did not continue in that trade throughout his entire earthly life and ministry, he did maintain his mission to build his church. Uh, you remember what he told Peter? One time Jesus was with Peter, Simon Peter, and some of the other disciples. They were at a place uh, there at the base of Mount Hermon. Uh, and so as they were talking at a place today we call Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked the question, Whom do men say that I am? And you remember how Simon Peter answered, right? He said, well, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. He said, that's who I know you are. And when Jesus heard those words, he said, You're blessed, Simon. You're blessed because you heard that not from men, but from God. God spoke that word to you. That came from heaven. And he said, that kind of faith, that faith and trust and commitment, that's what I'm going to build my church on right there. That, that thing that you've committed your heart and mind to in that moment, in committing yourself to me, he said, that's what I'm looking for with people. So in that same sense, it was upon that faith and commitment uh, of his followers that Jesus in the first century and even today is still building his church on that kind of faith and on that kind of commitment. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus himself is the foundation of that building. Uh, I like what uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. He, he said, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. He said, But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul knew that Christ himself is the foundation of the church. He's the beginning point for the church or God's people. We're not talking about a building so much as we're talking about his people, right? And Christ is the beginning point. He's the foundation. Later on, Simon Peter himself picked this same notion up when he wrote this in his first epistle. He said, we're coming to him, to Jesus, as a living stone rejected Indeed, my men, but chosen by God and precious. And you also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then he says this, Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means 
be put to shame. So Peter's saying what Paul said. Christ is the foundation. Not only is he the foundation, but Peter said he's the chief cornerstone. He's the beginning point of the foundation. He's the most important part of the church. Everything centers in the church around Christ. It's in Christ, by Christ, for Christ, and to Christ. Everything we do, it has to be. If not, then we're just here as a country club. You know, if we're not about Christ, we're just a country club. We're just people gathered together having a good time. It's, it's fine to gather together and have a good time, but there's more to it, right? There's a, a, a greater reason for why we're here. So, how is it and what is it that Jesus is doing today? Well, Christ is building His church, as it were, out of living stones. You and I are like living stones that are being put together into a household of faith. One that is, is being built into us on a solid foundation. So how does Jesus do that today? How is Christ, as the master builder, still building the church today? How did Jesus Christ add to his church in the first century? That's a good question. How did he go about it then? And, and is it the same today as what Jesus was doing in the first century with people like Peter and Paul and James and John and these others? Is he still doing the same thing? Well, the answer is simply yes. <laughs> He's still doing those same things today with us that he did with those folks back in the very first century A.D. And so here's, here's the bottom line. Jesus reaches people with his people. Jesus reaches lost, hurting, helpless, hopeless people with his people who have been redeemed, who've been given a new hope and a new future and a new promise for life to come. And so... It's important for us to remember that, that when we are called by Christ to be His servants, He then equips us to do it, and most of all, He empowers us. He strengthens us in the moment to share a word to somebody who needs help, somebody who needs hope, somebody who's lost or hurting. And so I want us to go back to Acts 2, 37, because this is kind of the beginning point in the New Testament for the, the church really being molded and motivated and moved out to do the work of building God's church. We're seeing Christ empowering people like Simon Peter and like some of these others in the, in the first century and how he used them to begin the process of building a household of faith with living stones, with living people. So let's just take a minute. The place where we're going to pick up here uh, was this moment right after, or it's at, what we call the Feast of Pentecost. Actually, the Jews called it the Feast of Weeks. Uh, later on, the, the Greek-speaking Jews called it Pentecost, because Pentecost means 50 days or the 50th day. And so what it referred to was 50 days after the Passover feast. So this is a, a, a series of feasts that were kept by the Jews. They had Passover celebrating God's faithfulness to deliver them from bondage. They served the, uh, celebrated then the Feast of First Fruits, thanking God for His provision for them. And then 40 days or 50 days later after Passover, they celebrated what we'd call the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And this is where they're celebrating the harvest, celebrating the great harvest that God had for His people. And isn't it interesting that God chose this moment at the Feast of the Harvest to bring a great harvest? And not only to bring a great harvest of souls, but to end that, start building a strong tower, a church that people could run into, could be saved and know the Lord and be secure with His people. Isn't that awesome to think about that God chose this moment to do that very thing? So when you pick up in chapter 2, what you're reading is the account of that day. 
The Bible says at the beginning of the chapter that the disciples and many others had gathered in that temple area for the Feast of Pentecost. While they were there, and there were people from every nation, every country around the world, Jews who'd come from everywhere, who spoke all kinds of languages, were gathered together in that place for that feast. As a matter of fact, it was such an important moment that every Jewish man at some point in his life was required to come to Jerusalem to keep this feast. It was just an important moment of celebration. So God chose the best time when there'd be the most people with the most impact around the world to be in that spot. It's at that point when all of a sudden there was this unusual roaring sound. Now, there wasn't any wind moving. They didn't feel anything as far as breeze, but they heard what they thought was like a whirlwind, like a tornado. Son, if I hear a tornado, son, I am bugging out. But these people, they didn't bug out. They didn't run. You know what they did? They kind of stood back and looked. And when they looked up, you know what they saw? They saw. They heard something, and then they saw something. What did they see? They saw, as it were, fire coming down from heaven, and it was, it was strange. It was like this fire divided all of a sudden into little pieces of fire that even resembled a flaming tongue. Now, you talk about mess you up in your mind. If you're there, that's, kinda, that's got your attention. You're in shock. What in the world is going on? I mean, that makes me think of that old Creedence Clearwater Revival song. It came down from the sky. Man, they were, they were about to fall out. They didn't know what was going on. And what happened was this fire came and landed. It, it fell upon those followers of Jesus. Now, it was an important moment because what God was doing was visually identifying those people who had given their hearts to Christ. Now, this was kind of a one-time deal. Y'all heard that expression, a one-hit wonder? Y'all know what a one-hit wonder is? It's a song that is popular for a time, and then that band never has another hit again, you know? And, and this event was kind of a one-hit wonder deal. It was an, an anomaly, an unusual event. But something marvelous came out of it, because after this moment, God will give another sign or another symbol to demonstrate someone who has surrendered their heart to the Lord. We're going to look at that in just a second. So there'll be another sign that will, that will have come from this that God will use. So God does something unusual. The Holy Spirit, who was pictured by these little fireballs coming from heaven, the Holy Spirit began to speak through these men to other men and to other people in the crowd who were from all places from around the world. Not only speaking to them, but speaking to them in their language. Now here's what's amazing about that and unusual. Pretty much everybody who was in town could probably speak Greek. Because the Roman Empire was in place over the whole surrounding world, and Greek became the language of commerce and trade. It, it was magnified. Latin was also another popular language. That was the language of the Romans. But more people could speak Greek because it was a language of commerce. But God didn't choose to speak in one language to everybody. What did he do? He spoke in everybody's language so they could hear it on their terms and, and, and they'd understand it their way. Isn't that significant? You know what that says? God wants to reach every single person with the gospel. He doesn't want people left out. He really doesn't. And what's difficult is sometimes we ourselves struggle with that because people are different, right? You say, well, I don't know those people. They're different from me. I, I, listen, I struggle with this. We all do. But what the Lord says is you've got to be loving to people and you've got to share the gospel with people. And they've got to know the Lord. So there comes a place then here where God is doing this new amazing work with people from all over the world and they're coming to be a part of one body of faith and it's faith and trust in Christ. Now, this is a marvelous moment. 
So what Jesus is doing is here, Jesus is building His church by conversion. That's the first thing He did then. That's the thing He's doing today. Jesus is building His church by conversion. How does that happen? It happens with the sharing of His Word. When we faithfully share the Word of Christ to people and they hear the gospel in a way they can understand it and they can relate to it, it's in that moment when God does His supernatural work, Christ is still speaking through us by the power of His Holy Spirit to help people come to know the truth that sets them free. I think about Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile or the Greek. All right. So he, he says, I, I, I know that's the way. People need to hear the truth. They need to hear the word. We've got to share the word with them. Well, how in the world do we do that today? Because, I mean, people need to, to hear it. Well, look what Peter did. Look at verse 37. Peter finished, actually, in verse 36 this way. Now, this is a strong sermon. I'm not reading the whole sermon. We'd be, we'd be here a while. It actually starts back in verse 14. But when you get to verse 36, Peter says, Therefore, he kind of wraps it all up in this statement, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What's Peter doing? He is bringing the truth that it is our sins, my sins, your sins, it was the sins of the nation of Israel, everyone's sin was what crucified Jesus. Jesus didn't die because he was a martyr. Jesus died because he gave his life for the ransom of many. He gave himself. He didn't have his life taken from him. He gave his life. But he was crucified because of our sins. And so he's, he's demonstrating that. He's helping them know that. Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Some translation says they were pricked at the, in the heart. Or they were pierced in their heart. It's the idea, I, I love the way that today's, uh, the, the, the 20th century New Testament said this way, they were conscience stricken. It's like, their conscience that before had been dull because of sin got popped, <laughs> got struck. And then the pain and anguish mentally in the moment of realizing my sin did that to God's Son, that they were cut in their heart and they knew. They knew something's got to change, something's got to give. I've got to make a change. So it says, uh, Peter said to them, men and brethren, they said to, him, to Peter and the disciples, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. In other words, turn around. You're going the wrong way. You're headed the wrong path in life. Turn around. Come back to God. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot going on right there in that verse. Peter's given a lot of instruction. Let's take it for a second. What's he talking about? What's he getting at? When Peter shares the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah who paid the penalty for sin, he's showing them you've got to turn away from sin and turn to Christ because he's the one that paid the penalty for you. You've got to come to him. And when a person does that, he's saying their sins are forgiven in that moment. Their sins are forgiven. They're, they're baptized, as it were, in that moment by the Holy Spirit. You see what he said there? You'll be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means this, that when my spirit 
is convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit, that I've sinned against God, that I'm the reason Jesus died on the cross. It was my sin that when I'm pierced in the heart and I'm convicted of that, when I repent, when I turn to God and say, God, I'm sorry, in that moment, it's like he baptizes. What does the word baptize mean? Literally, the Greek word baptizo means to dip or to immerse. So he says, it's like you're immersed in that moment by God's grace. You're immersed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and He absolutely takes control of every square inch of your life. Now think on that one for a minute. That's what it means to be saved. Saved does not mean I I, I check off a square that I'm going to heaven. That's not what saved means. It's not what it means. Now, do you get to go to heaven when you die? Yes. Is that the reason you're saved? No. But wait a minute, you, you, that's not the reason we get saved. What? Well, why, why wouldn't we? That's part of the joy of knowing we have eternal life. But eternal life begins here, doesn't it? It's not about just going to heaven. It's about heaven here. It's about being redeemed now, having sins forgiven, having guilt and stain removed, and having a life, a powerful life in the Lord now and after right and when we go to heaven so heaven is an and i love that (laughs) but i'm looking for now too and so that's what peter's talking about he says you need your sins forgiven you need the holy spirit in your life and a symbol of this was what baptism a symbol of it was baptism so look at how he he worded it he said have your sins forgiven he says here uh uh, for the remission of, uh, I'm sorry, being baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. What does for mean? For, that little word E-I-S in Greek, ice, means this, because of or as a result of. Because of the remission of your sin, because of the forgiveness or as a result of the forgiveness of sin, you need to be baptized. You say, why do I need to be baptized? Because in baptism, you're symbolizing two important things. That I've been buried with Christ. All my sins are gone. Under that wa- like, like putting me under the waters, like putting me in the grave. Just like Jesus was put in the grave with my sins, so my sins have been buried with Christ. And when I'm brought out of that water, it's showing them I've been raised to a whole new life. And now God's Holy Spirit is who's living in me, and He's the one empowering me. So baptism becomes an important symbol. Is baptism what saves you? Absolutely not. That's, that's crazy to think about because when you put it under the water, you're just getting wet. But when the Holy Spirit baptizes you, when He inundates your life, when He changes your heart, when He changes your mind, you belong to the Lord and you're saved. And you have every bit of the Holy Spirit that you need in that moment because He immerses you in Himself. So the, this is a really important thing that Peter's helping them understand. You've got to repent of sin you got to turn to the Lord and be forgiven. You've got to immerse yourself in the Spirit. And then people need to know it. People need to see the change, and they need to know what you've done with the Lord. Listen, your salvation is personal, but it's never private. It can't be. It's who you are. It's not who you were. And so, boy, this is a powerful moment that Peter is helping them understand, that we need to be sharing this hope with others. So how do we do that today? How can we take this powerful truth and share it. You know one of the best ways we do it in the church is, is through our small groups, through Sunday school. Let, let, me, let me give you a couple things to think on. Let's, let's look at this. we got a couple of goals this year. Let's set some goals for our Sunday school. Can we do that this year? Now, this is the beginning of the church year. We started actually in September. Next September, here's what we'd love to see. 
We'd love to see our church reaching people with the gospel that we've just been talking about. So think about this. As a Sunday school class, what if in your class you committed to have one prospect to the class for every person who was enrolled? Kind of a one-for-one deal. In other words, if I'm a member of a Sunday school class, and I am, I, I, I help teach one, my job is to find one person who's not in my class, who's not in the church, and probably, possibly, who doesn't know the Lord, that I feel like we're going to try to reach that person and invite them to come to our class. So I'm, I'm going to try to find a name. By the way, I've already got a name. I've already got my name in my head, and I, I'm going to work on that. So if you did that, if everybody in their Sunday school class said, I'm going to find one name or one person I feel like our Sunday school class could try to reach out to, that, there's a mission accomplished. We've already got one of our goals checked off, right? But here's a couple more you could think about. We want to see by the end of the year to enroll one new member to the class for every two or three people enrolled. Now, I just kind of pulled those numbers out of the air. Brother Jay can get mad at me later for doing that. But <laughs> we did kind of talk about this ahead of time. I just didn't tell him I was going to put three in there. But uh, anyway, your class needs to think about that. Do we want uh, to see our class double in size? You, that could happen. If you had uh, every person who was on your prospect list start coming, your class would double. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Just be honest. So what's a good goal? We could say, well, what if half of our prospects came and enrolled in our class? Man, that'd be awesome. If you had 10 people in your class, next year you'd have 15. Boy, you see how awesome that'd be right there? And you're, these are people that your class is trying to reach and minister to and, and share the gospel with. So then, then another goal would be, hey, listen, we'd love to see by the end of next year to see some of these folks come into faith in Christ if they don't know the Lord and being baptized as a symbol of their faith in Christ. And so that could be a goal. We want to see some folks added to our class even through baptism. All right, so let's go back to, the, to, the, to, the, uh, to what we're reading here because that's exactly what's happening. Look at this in verse 40. In verse 40, it says, With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Great guns. Y'all, we're talking about finding a handful of prospects. We're talking about 3,000 people. Man, I, we're not ready for 3,000 people. Just be honest. We're not ready for that. But listen, they weren't either, but the Lord did it. And God helped them to, to have these folks coming now into the faith and following Christ. So it's a powerful thing God will do when we set some sights on what He wants us to do. Have you all ever heard this old saying? If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Well, we want to aim at some things. So let's, let's set some more goals for ourselves. So let's keep moving. Uh, let, let's pick up in verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly. Who's they? those who just came to faith in Christ, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now when it says there in verse 43 that fear came upon them, he's not saying they all became terribly afraid or frightened. The word fear here means reverence and respect and awe, that they were amazed at what God was doing in their church, in the midst of all these people who were coming to Christ. So what did they have to do with these people once they got them there? Once these folks were coming to faith in Christ, what happened? Well, they started growing in their faith. Once these people were added to Christ's family of faith, the church, they needed to find a place of connection. 
And so that's the, the second thing that happens. Jesus is building his church here in connection. The people are sharing in the fellowship of the church. What does that mean? The fellowship of the church. Well, it means this, that there was a deep spiritual, emotional, and social connection that they were experiencing because they were in close connection with each other. They spent time with one another. They did life together. Uh, they weren't just going out there lone rangers on their own anymore. No, they had friends that they were making. They were building friendships. Now, again, that happens real well in our, in our church in Sunday school. Now, it can happen in here. I mean, we all gather together for worship, and this is kind of where we get started. By the way, I like the fact that we do worship first and Sunday school second for this very reason right here. We gather to lift up the name of the Lord and praise Him, but then we're able to connect at a deeper level once we find a group of people that we can G and haul with. Y'all know what that means, G and hauling? It's what you tell your mule when you want to go left, go right, right? So people that we can go left with and we can go right with and we can walk straight through life with, we, we need that. People we connect with. And so this year, we, let's think about this. What are a couple of things we, goals we might set for ourselves? Well, we could commit this year so that we'll be better at fellowshipping, better at connecting. We could commit to contact each absent member each week. So, well, good grief, Brother Matt. That's a, what if we got eight, eight people missing this week? Well, you got eight people to call this week. Well, you know how you do it? Don't, you know, not just one way to do it. You can phone call and say, hey, we missed you this week. Sure, we'd love to see you back next week. You could call them. You could text them, believe it or not. Some people are pretty good at texting. You could email them. You could send them a card. If you're, if you're old school, get out a piece of paper and a pen. Use a stamp. They still make them. And write them a little note and say, hey, we missed you in class. We sure would be glad if you came back to church next week. We'd love to see you back. And, and, and just a short little note. And mail it to them. You mail it on Monday, they'll get it by, what, Thursday at least, right? No, probably by Wednesday. So... But people will respond, especially the handwritten notes. So that, those are simple things, but it means something to people when they know that we miss them, right? So another thing we can do is we could commit each class to planning and performing and having at least one fellowship quarterly. That, that means four a year. And this gets real easy, really, if you want to get down to it. Because around Christmas time, there's a Christmas party. Boom, there's one of them down. We've got a Christmas party coming up. We're going to have a Christmas party this year. In the spring, we're going to boil some crawfish. Amen. So there, there's an easy one in the spring. In the summertime, we're going to go to, the, to a ball game together. Or, or you know, whatever. We're going to do some activity. We're going to go do something like that. You know, catch a movie. It's so hot, we're going to go sit in the, in the cool shade and catch a movie. So, you know, so there's different things you can think about. And you could if you're committed to it, if you're committed to it, you could come up with four times at least where you, you did something as a group together, a smaller group, got together and had fun, did something that, that connected you and helped you to have a fellowship. All right, but there's one last way that Christ was building his church here. Go back to verse 44. Let's just read these last few verses, and we'll see the last one. Verse 44 it says, Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, so the church continues to grow and go, but it happens over time. It's not like just all at once. Now, this was one big boom that happened up front. But after that, it was a process, you see, that carried on. So what was this process called? Well, it was ministry. The church was, Jesus was building his church through caring. 
as they learn to care for one another and take care of, uh, of the needs of one another, in other words, minister and serve one another, as they did that, they reached more and more people with the gospel. So when God's people come together under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we're able to minister to one another and serve one another in His kingdom. We, we, we can keep our eyes open and look for ways to meet the needs of people who are having a tough time. Look, it doesn't take long because every one of us has bad days. Every one of us has a bad week. Every one of us has harder times in life for different reasons. And so we just have to be attentive. That's why connection is so important. If we stay connected, we can care for one another. And we can look look after one another. We can make sure if so-and-so is having a rough time, we're going to pray with them. We're going to have a meal with them, you know, fellowship with them. We're, we're going to, if, if somebody is, uh, is, is materially, maybe they're, whatever, they, they need some food or they need some help right now, we can do that. As friends, we can come in and help them. And, and nobody think the worst of anybody. So where I'm going with this is ministry is so important to taking care of each other's needs. So let's think about this. How can we do this? Here's a few ideas. Each member can commit to asking God for a way to use their spiritual gift. You say, wait a minute, preacher. What are you talking about, spiritual gift? Well, here's what we know in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that when we come to the Lord and we commit our life to the Lord and, we're, and we surrender our soul to the Lord and we're baptized or inundated or immersed, how you going to say that, by the Holy Spirit, when He comes to live in me, He gives me a giftedness that I did not have before. A lot of us are born with innate talents and abilities. You know, maybe some people are a skilled carpenter or they could, there's certain things that they're naturally good at doing. But each of us, when we come to Christ, He gives us a certain gift. And the gifts usually are this. The gifts usually are gifts of service, gifts of wisdom. You know, these types of gifts, hospitality, generosity. And so we can take that spiritual gift, something the Holy Spirit spiritually does, we can yoke it with our natural gifts, all right, put those together, and God can do some marvelous things with His people. So what you have to do as a, as a believer, you've got to start praying, Lord, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to help? So we need to pray about that. Secondly, though, we could do this. Each member could commit to encouraging and exhorting others in their service. Look, everybody needs encouragement. Everybody needs somebody to cheer them on. Hey, I, I've never seen anybody get mad at somebody else for, being, for saying a kind word to them. If they do, there's something wrong with them. They're, they're just Ebenezer Scrooge, right? So, but, but most people love it when you're an encouraging, encouragement to them, when you exhort them. And we all need that. Sometimes we get a little low. All right, and the third one was this. Each member can be committed to take ministry and service into the community. So the things that we're experiencing here is a family, and maybe there's something God's putting in our heart to do here in the church. Why couldn't he put that in our heart to do it out there in the community? Something similar. So that, th- th- these are goals that each of us need to start thinking about and praying about and making. And look, I'm telling you this. If, we, if we'll get serious about setting some personal goals and Sunday school goals, you know what will happen. God will take our commitment. God will take our gifts. He'll magnify them, and we will see people added to the church as they're being saved. We'll see the church grow. And it's not so that we can feel good about ourselves. It's about so that He can be glorified and we know that we're doing His will. And so that's what the Lord's called us to do. He's building His church. 
He's building his church. The question remains twofold. Number one, am I a part of the church? Am I a part of the church? And secondly, am I committed to the church? Am I a part of the church? His people. Am I committed to him and his people? Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, as we come to this moment where we have heard the truth and we know it's, it's there to guide us, and so we pray that as we think about our church in the days ahead, your church here in Fairview, that we'll be a people who are committed to walking with you, committed to serving you. Lord, there's just some simple ways that we can really focus our attention on fulfilling your mission. So we pray in the days to come, Lord, you'd help us to do that. God, maybe there's even someone here today who's not a believer, and maybe they need to give their life to the Lord. Listen, if you're here and you read that word that Peter preached at Pentecost where he said, repent, repent of your sin and turn to the Lord, if that's you in your heart, you know you need to do that. You know that you've never really repented of sin. You've never really given your heart and life to the Lord. And you know today you need to do that. Would you be willing to take that first step today? Would you be willing in prayer right there, just you and God, would you tell him in prayer, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I want to turn away from my sin. And I want to turn my life over to you. Boy, if you'd make that your prayer today, that'd be a good place to start. And then if you could pray something like this, Jesus... Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Lord, would you forgive my sins and come live in me? Boy, if you'd pray that prayer, he'll send his Holy Spirit to immerse you, to fill you, and to change your life. Look, there may be many of others of us, we've done that very thing. We've become a Christian, but we know we really haven't been using our spiritual giftedness the way we ought to be. We've not really been committed to trying to find somebody else to reach out to. And, and maybe we need to set some personal goals for ourselves. And if that's you, would you do that today? Would you, right now, you and the Lord pray and say, Lord, help me to set some of these personal goals to help me be faithful to you. God, for each of our classes, we pray that you give us wisdom in a, as a Sunday school class where we can talk about ways in which we can improve in these areas of, of evangelism, you know, of sharing your word, of, of, of reaching out in fellowship, Lord, to to share in our, the connection you've given us. But even, Lord, more than that, that we would be people who are really committed to seeing your kingdom grow. So, the God, we, we love you, and we pray you'd help us in the days ahead. Help us now to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.